Stefan Kenan's sign. Songs of praises I will ever give to thee. Songs of praises I will ever give to thee. Please be seated. Good evening. Were Adam and Eve white? You ever think about that? Simple question. Were Adam and Eve white? I think simple genetics would tell us that we can't have all the variations of skins of color in our world today if Adam and Eve were white. If Adam and Eve were white, then everyone else in the world today would have to be white. If we all come from the same lineage, if we all go back to Adam and Eve as the first parents, then how could they have been white? You think about that, think about this. A human race is often defined as a group of people who have certain features in common that distinguish them from other people. And currently, there are three or four races, major races, of humans. They are Caucasoid, which make up 55% of the Earth's population. There is Mongoloid, which makes up 33%. Negroid, which makes up 8% of the population. And Australoid, which make up 4%. Now, it is possible to classify a large population of people based on certain characteristics. And some would say that the best way to do that is through skin color. But it doesn't take a genius to figure out that that only works for so many people. And after a while, there is still confusion. Because you think about it, most Africans from south of the Sahara and their descendants around the world have skin that is darker than most Europeans. However, there are millions of people in India whom anthropologists classify as Caucasoid, and yet they have darker skin color than many African Americans. And so even skin color is not an exact, perfect way of classifying races. Some have suggested that there are two or three dozen different races. In the end, it's been proven very difficult to determine race or how it should be accurately determined. You know, in humans, skin color is defined or caused by melanin. Two pairs of genes primarily control its production. Geneticists designate them as AA and BB, capital A, lowercase a, capital B, lowercase b. The capital letters represent dominant genes, and the lowercase letters represent the recessive gene. You know, it is very it would be very easy if Adam and Eve were all dominant. If they were capital A, capital A, capital B, capital B, barring any genetic mutation, it would be very easy for them to produce children that were of the darkest negroid coloration possible, and they themselves would have been classified as negroid. But as we've already stated, that's less than 10% of the population, so they couldn't have been negroid. Also, if Adam and Eve had been all recessive, lowercase a's, lowercase b's, barring any genetic mutations, they could have had only children who are of the lightest Caucasoid coloration. 
The world would then have no other groupings, but we know that it does. We know there are a variety of skin colors, so that could not have been the case either. So what were Adam and Eve? Well, if they were both dominant and recessive, if they were capital A, lowercase a, capital B, lowercase b, then they would have had middle brown skin color, or what we'd call heterozygous. They would have had two dominant, two recessive genes. Color would have been middle brown, and it would explain why we have all the different skin colors in our world today. Here's a chart for you. It's called a Punit square, Punit square. Geneticists use this to show racial possibilities in the offspring that can be expected, at least in theory, from a husband and wife in one generation. Thus, starting with two parents who are heterozygous, meaning middle brown in color, extreme racial colors, black to white, with uh, just to name two, two examples, the black and white, they could have produced in a way that races would have permanently different colors. Now, this whole process is put in reverse when people from different colored races intermarry. You have different combinations of genes, i.e. different from those originally carried by the parents that occur, and the offspring thus begin to show a rainbow effect of skin colors, ranging from black to white. Do you think that it is likely or that it was possible that in Bible times people intermarried of different skin colors? I think it would have to be possible, wouldn't it? I mean, the plethora of so many colorations in the world is evidence that they most certainly did. There are other factors to be considered as well. For instance, there can be little doubt that racial characteristics existed before the flood. And then, of course, after the flood, we have a change in the environment, a change in uh, the earth's environment, also man's environment. Remember, last week we talked about the Tower of Babel and how the people settled in Shiner, and they, they built this massive tower, at least they started to construct this massive tower reaching up into heaven, and God seeing that all they could do in unison was sin, he, he scattered them to different remote parts of the world. And so environment obviously has some sort of con contribution to all of this. Besides environment, other physical characteristics play a part in what we would call racial characteristics. For example, the yellowish color in the mongoloid races is due to extra thickening of the keratin in the layers of skin, which causes the sunlight to be reflected from the skin. So the normal brown color produced by the melanin is altered, and the end result is kind of a yellow-brown. We also notice there is a difference in the shape of their eyes. That almond-shaped eye comes from a double fold of fat that produces that shape. Races were produced in a very short span of time, and racial variations that we see today are merely an expression of the original genetic makeup of Adam and Eve that has been passed down to us. No evolutionary process is necessary. So, look at a children's Bible story. You have one of those children's Bible books at home or illustrated children's Bible stories. What do you see? You always see white people, don't you? Always. I mean, maybe you have a book that shows different races, but all I've ever seen is white people in all of them. Why is that? And does that matter? Well, I find it funny that we, that we get on our soapbox about whether Jonah was swallowed by an actual whale or just a big fish. We get really out of sorts about whether Adam and Eve ate a pomegranate or an apple, but this doesn't seem to bother us at all. We don't care about accuracy when it comes to this. And I think it does matter. 
I mean, I think it matters that children understand that they were all created in the image of God, red, yellow, black, and white. You were all created in His sight, and therefore, you're all of one family. We're all actually one race, designated as the human race. But I, I think it matters, if we're going to be biblically accurate, to know where we came from, how we got the variety of skin colors that we have in our world today. I'm not suggesting that the illustrators of these Bible stories were trying to pull one over on us. I, I just don't think we think about it. It's not something that really registers with us. The Bible is about God's relationship to the entire human race, not just one human race. And I never want to send the message that this detail is unimportant. There are, there are too many people in our world who promote an ignorant, cruel, and ungodly position that a particular race is superior to another. In so much as possible, I want to avoid the very appearance of that, don't you? And so I do think it matters. I think it's important that we, that we pay attention to the details, that we strive to get them right. Because unless you've been living in a cave for the last five years, you've noticed that we have a lot of division in our world today. And at the forefront of this division is race. There is a lot of racial tension in our culture today. And you know what? The church should be opposing it at every turn. Every turn. You cannot justify it. You cannot say, well, I'm just setting my ways. Doesn't matter. Racism is wrong, period, exclamation point. And there is no justification for it. And Christians should be opposing it at every turn around every corner. Wherever there is racism, we should be there opposing it. So I'm going to ask you to do something tonight. And for some of you, this is going to be hard. But I want you to do two things for me. Number one, I want you to set aside your political views. They have no place and no bearing on this discussion. Leave them out. That's hard for some of us. Because many of us get our cues from Fox News or from wherever the news outlet is, and we, we have a hard time setting aside our bias or our slant. Set that aside for me tonight. Secondly, set aside your upbringing. Because some of us were raised in a home where we were taught certain things about other races that is just simply inaccurate and dead wrong a lot of times. And I have no hope of penetrating your heart unless you're able to set these two things aside, okay? So those two things have to be set aside, at least for the moment. Be open-hearted and open-minded, I guess we could say, all right? You know, in Acts chapter 17, we find Paul giving his famous sermon on Mars Hill. Paul is preaching to pagan philosophers and people who worshiped idols. And during the course of his sermon, he says this, and he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Paul makes it very clear there that Paul, or that God, excuse me, created all races. All races came from one man, he says. Understand that those hearing Paul speak felt that other races were barbaric. Many in the crowd that day would have felt that other races were not worthy to be helped or be spoken of or even lend a hand to. But Paul makes it clear that all races have the same creator and are of one stock. So that's where we begin. And I want to ask you to do something else. Not just tonight, but from now on. Stop painting with a broad brush. Stop categorizing people. Not all black people are in a gang shooting each other. Not all cops are shooting black people. Not all whites are rich and oppressing black people. 
Not all black people are out trying to protest and, and loot and, and, and steal and burn down buildings because they're angry. Not all Asians are bad drivers. Not all Hispanics are lazy. Some white men can jump. Some black individuals are not good at sports. Okay, so stop painting with a broad brush. Stop categorizing human beings in, 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 into some profile that fits your narrative. Think broader here. Think bigger. Since all people are made in God's image, every human life, every human life is of infinite and equal value. I want you to notice Genesis 9, starting in verse 5. Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. You may remember that Jonah had some prejudice in his heart, didn't he? He didn't want to go and preach to the Ninevites. He didn't feel that they were worthy of God's mercy. And so he refused. He ran from his commission. We all know, and it's well-covered territory, the the conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews, as well as the Samaritans, had a very, a very racist attitude toward one another. The Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds and good for nothing. You may remember this, this incident where this arrogant scribe comes to Jesus and he's talking about who his neighbor is. And he asks Jesus the question, he just outright asks him, who is my neighbor? That's a boundary question. The Jews asked that question because they had no problem calling a fellow Jew their neighbor, but they sure didn't want to step outside of that and be neighborly to anyone else who wasn't a Jew, especially to a Samaritan. But this Jew was asking the wrong question because you can't define who your neighbor is. All you can do is be a neighbor. And so Jesus answers the wrong question with, an answer, with a question of his own. And he, he tells them this, this parable about a good Samaritan, which was an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is, right? It's when you put two contradictory terms together, like jumbo shrimp. That's what good Samaritan is. It's an oxymoron. There was no such thing as Samaritans who were good, at least in the Jews' mind. And yet Jesus tells this parable about, about a man who helped when the very people that should have helped didn't. When the priest and the Levite walked on by, it was a lowly Samaritan who was the hero of the day. And Jesus turns to that arrogant scribe. He says, which do you think was a neighbor to the man? And the arrogant Jew couldn't even bring himself to say a Samaritan. He just simply says, the one who showed compassion. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. And I think he tells us the same thing. In a world so divided by politics and race, Jesus says, go and do likewise. In a world where there is so much tension and strife, Jesus says, go and do likewise. Loving our neighbor as ourselves is not just about loving those who share our heritage or our ethnicity or our skin color. It's about being neighborly to everyone we come in contact with. Remember Galatians 3 and 28 as well as Ephesians 2, 14 through 18? You know, we see that one of the effects of the gospel was to shatter the racial barriers that separate people. 
In Galatians 3, beginning in verse 26, it reads, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant, heirs according to promise. What we see in Galatians 2 and 11 is Peter making a fatal mistake as he was hobnobbing with some influential Jews, looking down his nose at Gentiles. That wall, that dividing line that was shattered between the Jews and the Gentiles, Peter was helping build it back up in in the way that he was acting. And you know what Paul did? Paul got in his face. He got up in his kitchen. He told him he was wrong. He reprimanded him for it. He he was not only sinning himself, he was contributing to the sin that they should have been over by that time. The wall had been broken down. They they shouldn't have been perpetrating those old, old habits of racial tension. Folks, I, I have no desire to delve into the politics of all this, but what I will say is that all, all the different movements and protests that we have going on, all the different factions that are disrupting the unity of our world today, of our country, all these things that you see, none of them are doing any good. Now, I know that doesn't sound like rocket science, right? But I'll tell you why they're not doing any good. Because they're not proclaiming the gospel. Never mind the fact that many of them are terroristic in nature. They're, they're destroying property and, and all of those kind of things. The bottom line is, it's all related to sin. That is what this whole problem stems from. It's all sin. And where there is social injustice, Christians should be at the center of it. We should be there, and we should be there helping people and proclaiming the gospel. None of these other groups are doing that. That's what we should be doing. We should be seeking to make a difference in the only real way we can make a difference, and that is through preaching the gospel. People can can protest, they can throw rocks, they can do whatever, but at the end of the day, where is the gospel in all of this? And who is preaching? My friends, we've got to stop taking our cues from the major news outlets. We've got to stop buying what the world is selling. Sides are being formed. Lines are being drawn. All of it is being politicized and used by politicians for political gain. That's really what this boils down to. No one is completely innocent here amid the the terrorist acts, the the beaten uh, citizens, the torched businesses, the dead police officers. There is a bigger picture, and it's a more complete picture. And it's this. It's a picture that's only getting worse. Each side will get bolder and more dangerous. Each side will continue to answer racism with racism, which is the dumbest response possible. And back and forth, the sides will go, whether it's the alt-right or whether it's the the white supremacist or Antifa or KKK or BLM, whoever it is, they will become more and more indistinguishable from one another. The more they clash, the harder it will be to tell one from the other because within all of these groups, there are racists, there are people obsessed with, with identity politics, there are people who are morally bankrupt, and there are people who need purpose and direction. There are souls. Within all these groups, there are our neighbors, whether we like to admit it or not. Christians must stand out from the crowd and deliver a different message while promoting a different lifestyle. We can't get caught up in that vortex that continues to spin faster and faster down the drain 
until it disappears. I am grateful that there have been people who, who protested in the right way. I'm glad that there have been people who have been willing to speak out against inequality like Martin Luther King Jr. I'm grateful that there are certain causes that are worth fighting for, and I'm not suggesting that we just simply sit back and do nothing or that we take a, a passive approach always. But, you know, as I witness all the horrific violence, all the egregious actions of a divided people, we cannot follow them down the drain. We cannot... We cannot engage in the same actions and expect that to be okay you know both sides feel that they're justified because they're, they're returning whatever actions they're receiving it's this kind of demented junior high mentality that i can do it to you because you're doing it to me and nothing ever gets solved that way nothing ever gets better that way if you want to be a good guy then you got to be better right and if you don't want to be better, then you're not a good guy. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Racism is ignorance. And beyond ignorance, it's sinfully arrogant. Paul said this, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Paul doesn't make a distinction between race here. He doesn't say, Jesus didn't say, love your white neighbors as yourself or love your dark-skinned neighbor as yourself. Paul doesn't say, regard only your race as more important than yourself. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, which means that you cannot be humble and racist. You can't be both. You cannot be pleasing to God while harboring racism in your heart. You can't. But that's why this is an elephant in the church. You know why this is an elephant in the church? Because the church has been racist. We have been guilty of racism. You don't believe me? There are a lot of mighty fine preachers that we exalt for their teachings. And they've said some really good things. They've done some really good things. But they've also preached racism. I'm talking about Church of Christ folks. Remember J.D. Tant? Remember that name? old preacher from the past, from the Gospel Advocate, an excerpt. Negro equality runs high here. Negroes ride in the same coach, go to the same school, eat at the same table with white people, and sometimes sleep in the beds of their white neighbors, all of which I am glad to say is not tolerated in quote-unquote heathen Texas. Remember the name Foy E. Wallace? Very well-respected name in the brotherhood. Commenting on the black evangelist Arian Hogan, who had the audacity to stay overnight in the home of Ira Rice Jr., here's what he said. Aside from being an infringement of the Jim Crow law, it is a violation of Christianity itself and of all common decency. Such conduct forfeits the respect of right-thinking people and would be calculated to stir up demonstrations in most any community if it should be generally known. That's embarrassing. And we should be absolutely embarrassed that anyone in the brotherhood, much less a preacher, should say anything, even remotely, that racist. But we don't like to talk about that. We don't like to engage that conversation. Now, I don't know if many of these men from the past, by the way, these aren't the only two preachers that have said things similar. And I don't know if they 
retracted their statement. I mean, I would hope, like all of us, we grow and we mature and we, we realize, oh, wow, that's out there in print now, and I wish I'd never said it. I hope that's the case. Even as late as 1960, Abilene Christian College would not allow blacks to enter as students. That year, Professor Carl Spain made a historic speech at the annual lectureships. The speech would alter ACC's racial stance, but would also result in Spain receiving death threats. Here's what he said. There are some dark chapters in the history of America in which are recorded deeds, as vile as have ever been perpetuated on the face of the earth marching under the standard of the God of Mammon and bluffing his way with ballots and bullets. The white man put his foot on the Negro's neck, quoted the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, and piously recited platitudes about all men being free and equal. I feel certain Jesus would say, ye hypocrites. You say you are the only true Christians and make up the only true church and have the only Christian schools, yet you drive one of your own preachers to denominational schools where he can get credit for his work and refuse to let him take Bible for credit in your own schools because of the color of his skin is dark. Are we moral cowards in this issue? We fear the mythical character named Jim Crow more than the reverence of Jesus Christ. Wow. And to that, I would say amen, and if we could all clap, that would be great too, right? I mean, wow. Awesome. Because we should oppose racism at every turn, and we should never be glossing over the sins of the past, but rather exposing them to say, that's not who we are anymore. And maybe it exists somewhere else, but for us right here at Oldham Lane, we are a people who believed that everyone was created in the image of God. And some would say, well, they just need to get over that. I mean, that was a long time ago. Folks, do you realize there are people still alive today of the African-American community who were refused entrance into our Lord's church? There are people who were turned away that are still alive today. Their children were around to see it. It's not as far in the past as we would like it to be. It's not as far in the rearview mirror as we would like it to be. We need to get real, and we need to understand that this is an issue. It's a problem. It is sin, and Christians should oppose sin at every turn, including this one. And we should be about love, honor, and respect for all human beings, regardless of the color of their skin. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the day that you have blessed us with. We are thankful for your church, and we are thankful that we can come here, that we can all gather here, regardless of race, ethnicity, regardless of, of, of what we may look like, or regardless of, of anything other than the fact that we are children of yours. We're thankful that you give us the opportunity to come together as one. We thank you, Lord, for this community of believers that you have blessed us with, and we pray that we grow stronger as a church family, that we can attain to that unity that you spoke so often about in your holy word. And we pray, God, that we are seeking to be more like Jesus, your son, every single day. We pray that we see everyone as our neighbor, regardless of the color of their skin. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.
you have a need tonight that we can help you with, if you're struggling right now with something, if you need the prayers and support of this church family, we'd like to help you. I appreciate all of you who have come to me and said that you'd be praying for my father on Tuesday. I appreciate that. Um, we got so many in the, in the bulletin that are sick, some who are having ongoing struggles and problems. Let's pray for them throughout this week. And if you're someone that would like to study the Bible, maybe you'd like to put on Christ in baptism tonight, as we say every week, don't leave here without being right with God. And when you do leave here, do what's right in the sight of God. Come now as we stand and as we sing. Love to thee. Yeah.